Hey, Elsie. Hi. What's up? Not much. Yourself? Uh, I'm in the Lipson office today. How about that? Oh, fun. Pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool Wi-Fi and all of the things. That's even more exciting. <laughs> I mean, are you happy when you have it or are you like... I like it. I it's it's nice. Is it nice? It is. Yeah, okay, it's good. nice. Very good. much so. So That's good. All right, cool. But wait, let me ask you this. If you had to choose between... Well, I already know the answer to this because otherwise, why would you live there? But like if you had to choose between... Wi-Fi, like let's just say you had you could have Wi-Fi anytime you wanted, but you'd have to go into an office every day forever. You would still not choose to do that, right? Right. You'd rather you'd rather just not. Yep. The ideal situation is to have Wi-Fi but not leave the house, right? I mean, you don't you like being there, but it's not like it's like it's kind of like New York City, right? Nice to visit, but you don't want to live there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, uh, yeah, this is mostly because of my, my own head. Um, it's easier for me to work when I am here versus when I'm is at home. Is that true? Yeah, because every time I start. Pay... Huh? Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No kids. No kids. Yeah, but I would think that your coworkers would be interrupting you because they haven't seen you. Um, you do realize that most developers and most tech people are. Oh, yeah, they don't talk. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Totally. I did not think of that. So it's really awesome. Nobody makes eye contact. We all <laughs> stay and do our work. It's it's heaven for me. It's heaven for me. It's kind of it? like being amongst people, but not really acknowledge that they're human. And oh you just kind of like do your thing. And I'm not here really, but I am here. Occasional jokes. And That's it's hilarious. over. Wait, do you go to lunch with people or is that Hell no. You, no one goes to lunch together? You don't oh, of go course out they Rob do. And Crystal of course and... they do. Of course they do. Yeah. Rob's they not do, here. But not with you? Oh, he's not. They, I, I'm asked every single time and I always say no. You do? Yeah. Because I'm coming in here to work, dude. I'm not coming over here to be like an hour. That's like, even, or 30 minutes. That's 30 minutes to an hour of work time. Like, like, I don't think people understand that. Like when you come into an office and if you're doing that kind of stuff already, like you're here for eight hours a day, there's a lot of time when you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do for eight hours. Or you kind of do a little bit of work during the eight hours, but really you're just, you're in the office and there's so many different things. And yeah, there are some times when you are actually working for that long, but when you work from home, you don't get the luxury of eight hours to work. And for me, that's my, my mind is blown by that, by the ability to sit down and have focus for chunks of time that are beyond my wildest dreams. It's like, don't interrupt me. This is work. I am working. I have to get this done. Like there's, because once I get out of here, it's not going to happen. So it is by far so much more important for me to come here and work than for me to come here and not which is like going out to lunch. I think as a chronic people pleaser, it would be so hard for me to say no to lunch to my coworkers who I don't get to see. Like it would be so hard for that, me. That doesn't to say no. even, I would like to. It doesn't even cross my mind that that yes, that that not saying no is a possibility. Like <laughs> that's not even an op like we I'm like so of course I'm going to say sometimes. no. I know, I'm just like no. <laughs> I'm Most gonna, women are people pleasers. Would you say that you are not necessarily in that category of female people pleaser? Yeah. No, you're probably not, are you? No, I don't think so. I, I think that, that really. I do when it comes to work, when doing things, as in like delivering 
things. Well, that's just professionalism. That's not exactly people pleasing. Right. That's your own sense of morals and ethics, though. Yeah. But when it comes to like do this because like this is the first, you know, every single time. And this is so funny. And they were just calling me out on it or I called them myself out on it. Every single time I come into the office, I like to sit in a really this is my personality is that I like to sit where nobody is. It's, I've, I've been there. I've been, I've done that for all of my life. I've like, even when I was in high school or in, co- or in, um, you know, elementary school, I remember I liked the desks that were off in the corner and the teacher even put me in the corner a lot of the times. And I loved it just to be by myself. And, um, and so every time I go somewhere, I always like to go to a place that is removed from everybody else. Um, when I was working here in the office, just to let you know, I would go inside the conference room and I would work there. Then the conference room was like used up and then I went to another conference room and I would use work there. I was not part of the everything else, but they've redone the office and now have, they have these really amazing fancy desks and really great stuff. And then as soon as I went in there, the place I wanted to sit was in the eating area because it's a light and it's beautiful and these chairs are amazing and it looks right out the window. The window is right there and I'm like this is where I'm gonna work I cannot tell you how many times people come up and they're like there's this desk is open you can come sit at this Mm -hmm. desk come sit at this desk I'm like no I like it I like this this part I like here (laughs) and this time they asked me again and I'm like okay I'll go to the desk I gave in and are you sad that you gave in yeah I kind of am because I like sitting (laughs) at the I like sitting looking out the window, even if it's not a desk, even if it's just a table where people put, you know, like it's like a, it's, it's, if if you're having a party here, that's where the food would go. You know, it's like one of those tall tables where you put food and things. And that's where I like to go. It's not a work. It's not a desk table. It's just a table in the kitchen area. So funny. So anyway, so yeah, I'm so totally not. I wonder if. There's a personality test for who you are based on where you sat in a classroom as a kid. Cause like, oh, I'm sure. my spot was always in the back as well, but in the middle. I did not want to be in the corner because I knew myself well enough to know I would stare out the window the whole time and I wouldn't learn anything. Oh. I have to be in the middle so I can face the teacher. And actually, in my adulter years, I sat in the front because I was less afraid of authority and more afraid of failing. So I would sit in the middle in the front just so nothing would distract me anywhere. But as a kid, I always sat in the middle. And actually on the school bus, where did you sit on the school bus? This will be interesting. I walked to school. Oh, what about on a field trip? I can't even remember. All I know is that I, I, I was awful. And I, I was always I, in the back. I was always in the back the too. Not the very last seat, but like yeah. the second to last seat. Yeah, that's about where I sat too. Yeah. But yeah. for me, it was so I can talk to everyone and see everything. Because I'm a nosy bitch. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> why I sat around there. But yeah. Well, I didn't want to also, I didn't want to bother with the teacher. I, I always try to stay as far away from teachers as I, I could. I think that maybe that's why I did what I did mm-hmm. to there. Mind you, it was wanna, only like, yeah. you know what? Like the only time I went on, well, the field trips, yeah, there was a lot of kids. But then I didn't really go on a field trip in, for a long time. And then when we did go for basketball and stuff, it was like there were only like literally, I think that the most amount of women we had, our girls that we had in the basketball team was eight. Mm-hmm. So we had this huge bus for like <laughs> eight of us. So I think it was like, you know, one every other it was seat. Just to stretch out. Yeah. yeah. 
someone was like then you could just scream at each other over the engine yeah and yet you and and again you keep on thinking that i was part of conversations and things Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm like, no. I mean, I'm sitting there, but as long as I was like, if I would I can't just imagine be alone. you friendless. That's all. I just can't imagine people not wanting to talk to you. But I guess the truth is you just didn't want to talk to them. Yes. Yes. It was like. Very, so interesting. That's so not like any situation went like that. It's always been like, oh, my God. Do I have to talk to people? Even when we go on the bus to podcast movement, dude. Ugh. If I could just, you know, I. You sit with me. I know because I know you and I don't want to sit with anybody What's wrong else. With that? I don't want to sit with anybody else either. That's normal. <laughs> I don't want to sit with these other people. No offense, guys. I want to sit with Elsie. <laughs> Elsie's the one I want to sit with on the bus because we have to talk about everyone else. It's normal. <laughs> obviously. Duh. That's it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, so should we let's get into Danny's ad because we have so much to talk about, so much interesting yes. stuff to talk about. So let's hear Danny's tip today. So let's talk about compression. A compressor is a plug-in that basically allows you to control the volume of the track that the compressor's on. It's essentially an automated volume control, and you can use it in helping with balance between your tracks. What happens with a compressor is when the level or volume of your track hits a certain point known as the threshold, the compressor kicks in and pushes the level of your audio down. You then have the ability to take that controlled dynamic range of your audio and boost all of it to make it louder. So a compressor can help make the louds softer and the softs louder. Here are my basic recommendations for using a compressor. You want to set the ratio at no more than two to one. Set your threshold to a point where the loudest moments are reduced by about 3 to 6 dB. And then add 1 to 3 dB back if you have makeup gain control on your compressor. Hey, it's Amy Robles from Thinking Riched. I just got to tell you about Danny Osmond. Danny helped me. We spent about 15 minutes one-on-one just talking, figuring out a couple of little tweaks. And my sound went from, oh, new girl on the mic sound to this rich, professional, woofy mama voice. And I love it. When we hear it in the car, my little girl just says, ooh, mama. (laughs) I don't think there's any compliment better than that. He's someone that I trust and someone that I would listen to and learn from anytime. Thank you so much. That was such good advice. Really good tip this week. Thank you. Elsie, I have a quick story to tell you before we get into the news, um, because it's just so perfect. Perfect example of why I'm a comedian and not a person that other people take seriously. Okay, so like I went to see Chris D'Elia, a comedian, on Friday night. Um, It's Scott's favorite comedian. We've been watching him on stuff for like 10 years. He was on a bunch of things that you've definitely never seen. Undateable, the Whitney Cummings sitcom. And he was on this show a long time ago called Glory Days. And he's really funny. So one thing he said during his comedy show was, out of nowhere, he was just like, you know what? Fuck TED Talks. He was like, I can't follow a TED Talk. The only reason why anyone watches a TED Talk is so they can go to parties and repeat the horrible things that are happening that, they, that they've learned about on TED Talks. Even the biggest moron can be like, bees are extinct, blah, 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 alarming rate, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> at parties, which I thought was hilarious. And when I went home that night, I did an Instagram story. 
I said, these are the things that Crystalia said that really stuck with me. And the first one was, TED Talks are so boring. And I cannot say that I've confidently sat through, I've sat through two. One of them was um, Emily from, she does the multi-passionate entrepreneur thing, Putty Like, Emily from PuttyLike.com. And then I don't even remember what the other one was. Probably, saw, oh, James Veach, who was hilarious. Those are the only two I've ever sat through. I've tried many of them unsuccessfully because I'm either not interested or... I don't know. It's just, it's always, you know, there's supposed to be ideas worth sharing. Anyway, so I, so I repeat it. And then here's what comes into my Instagram box. Okay. Okay. It's a girl. Her name is Christina Holly. Mm-hmm. And she's host of the Art of Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm Z. Because she spells Christina with a Z. Engineer, entrepreneur, and adventurer from LA, host of the Art of Manufacturing podcast. And she says, I-M-O, not everyone should give a TED Talk. It's supposed to be ideas worth sharing. Not enough of them are worth sharing. We aren't discriminating enough. Curation is everything. I write back in all caps, TOTALLY. Uh-huh. Then she writes back, P.S. I feel a little responsible. When my team at USC and I created the first ever TEDx in 2009, I definitely hoped it would get replicated maybe a hundred times. Never dreamed there would be 40,000 of them. There aren't enough good ideas to go around. Now I'm nauseous and shitting in my pants. And I look her name up. And of course, this is who invented the fucking TED Talks. <laughs> well, she's she's on she podcast, you know. She's very yes! active in our group. I know. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I mean, I, I've I've Did you featured know who her she before. Was? I no, I've heard her on a on her podcast, and she's sent feedback over to to the feed and um, stuff. Yeah, I so. mean, oh my god, right? So that's what I type back. Oh my god. <laughs> And then I said, well, first of all, not everything can be for everyone. Some of us are just simply not attention oriented enough. Sad. I said, you know, and I explained what I explained to you. His point was that people watched him and then used him to look smart parties. Then I said, of course, you would be created it because that would be my life. I'm so sorry if it seemed crass. I do find most of them boring, but I also have a terrible attention span and can't read most intellectual things. Ha ha ha. Then she wrote back. It's not crass at all. Off the record. Oh, it's off the record. She agrees sometimes. All right. Maybe. All right. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> she was involved with Ted over the years. Um, you know, they're much better live and in person because you feel like you're going on a journey with a speaker. You're seeing their soul. You can discuss it afterwards with audience members. It's totally different. And then she wrote, blah, blah. Thanks for your honesty. Ah! <laughs> Why? How come Chris D'Elia can do a, t- a national tour about how boring TED Talks are and I say one thing on my tiny little Instagram and the fucking founder of TED Talks is like, haha, that's funny. Guess what? I invented them. <laughs> right? It's so ridiculous. It's crazy. Because you never know what's going to happen. You never know. This is my point. Podcasting connects you with more people than you think you're connected to all the time. Every time, all the time. 
You never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. You never even know who you're connected. I mean, you do, but you don't, right? Mm-hmm. Like you guys who are listening to this right now, you don't realize that in that group is like Grammar Girl and executives at every ad agency, every network, hosts from every network. Every time you post, I mean, not to make people scared to post, but like it truly is a community of peers, but just some of the peers are hiding how impressive they are. (laughs) You know what I mean? They're like lurking in there, not telling everyone how fantastic they are. And I learned the hard way, I guess. It is absolutely kind of shocking when you start to see like, oh, my God, I can't believe those people are here. Blah, blah. Are you not able to react in a more dramatic way because you're in your office? I think so. Is that why you're being so like, ha ha, yes. that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I think Elsie's all subtle like, heh. I'm, I'm kind of like, I have I'm going to be quiet now. I know. I have, I'm trying to be like, not loud. <laughs> so there's no way I can make you, I should not be trying to make you laugh or do anything where you would snort or whatever. Well, I don't think that that's it. I think it's like, uh, yeah, it's not. No, Listen how sophisticated she sounds. I'm so so, I know. See, I'm speaking as <laughs> if I am. <laughs> you are. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so crazy. No, but okay, okay, mind okay, you, we'll can stop, we we'll get stop. into some news now? Let's go to the news. Yeah. The news you can use for the informed podcaster. Podcasting news. No, so I don't think we talked about this last time, but did we talk about the fact that Audio Boom saved their tuckuses? They they secured another six million dollars. Was it six million? Six million dollars in funding to help reverse engineer their so after i guess what happened was after their possible takeover with triton or their merger with triton that fell through and they were left with no cash so i think the founder of reddit is that did you tell me that the founder Mm -hmm. of reddit gave them six million bucks what yep uh, the announcement was made by the London Stock Exchange. The UK-based podcast host and sales house has successfully completed a new set of funding, raising $6 million. The company, which withdrew from an attempted acquisition of Triton Digital in May, had been seeking new investment. The new funding comes from a mix of current investors and new ones. Trading will resume on June 14th. COO Stuart Last outlined the future of the company now that funding is secured and talked about working with other podcasting companies to grow the medium. He said, we really want to accelerate the growth of continuing to focus on acquiring new publishers for the company to represent for ad sales, highlighting that this is an area of the market that's grown considerably to be more competitive. Um, Their package to content publishers will include more competitive rev share, promotional budget, as well as guarantees of minimum revenue. That's a very ambitious package for podcasters. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Promotion budget, guaranteed revenue. Boy, Mm. oh boy. Boy, oh boy. They better have a condom for that penis. That's all I'm better be careful. It is, you know, I hope that they can fulfill the condom. <laughs> yeah. You hope you can fill the condom? Yeah, fill, that's it. Yeah. I fill the condom. Fill the with, condom, yeah. With with all, uh, with all the joy that juicy goodness? Juicy goodness, yes. No, honestly, this because is disgusting. I mean for all of <laughs> us happening? to continue to 
thrive. I mean, there's a lot of really great podcasts that are on Audio Boom, um, and they have, you know, all of the stuff. Like they, meaning they're a podcast host. They're doing all the things, right? I think you know. I'm just really concerned about um, the massive focus on the expansion of of listenership, and that everything still is reliant on large numbers. And when I say large numbers, I'm not only talking about large download numbers, but large advertising, um, you know, sponsorship numbers, uh, those kinds of things. And and again, it's, it's just really disheartening because looking at the actual stats, meaning like how many people are actually making or having the type of numbers, monthly download numbers that merit um, the this boom, this abundance of cash flow and people, it really is the top. It's like six percent, six to eight percent of the entirety. Is that a new number by chance? Um, I have them all. I was gonna start to look at it, but anyway, that is like all I'm saying. It's just it's so disheartening. It is because that leaves out everybody else, and and this is the clincher. The people like nobody like companies like this, because he's even become much more clear about this, are interested in anybody that's below that percentage. So then you have all of these high-level companies that are looking to either sign on these podcasts that already have these numbers or create something that is only going to have that kind of a number. And it's, again, only a certain percentage that they're not addressing the the rest of, essentially the rest of us. I'm opening up a Google Doc right now to tell you what that is in terms of the the latest stats for, I think, you know, the, the mean and median numbers and all of that kind of stuff for the podcasts that Rob generally shares on the feed and stuff. So uh, let's see the mean and median number, which means that for if this is for the end of the month for April. So this is April from March and April was 148. That means that 148 downloads per episode per month. That means that you are, if you get more than that, you are better than half of all podcasts of 50,000. That does okay. not shock me at all. And then if you get less than that, then out of 50,000 podcasts, you are uh, below that. Now, uh, in terms of the, so 7% of all downloads were in the 5,000 range or greater for downloads. 7%. Okay. And that's the eight. Well, now it's seven. That's the magical number some advertisers are looking for, right? So 7%. I think it's interesting that it went down. I bet it went down because there's so many new podcasts. Yeah. And so now, um, so these are the other numbers also. He said, if they are getting more than 1,000 to like 1,200 downloads per episode per month, you're better than 80% of the shows. More, wow. more than 3,200, 3, you are better than 90% of the shows. More than 7,800, you are better than 95% of the shows. 19,000, you're better than 98 percent of the shows more than 33,000 per episode per month you are better than 99 percent of the shows so there you have it so if you start to think about like the breakdown of those numbers and the majority of people are getting (laughs) under like you know 80 percent of people are getting lower than those numbers 
if you're getting a hundred, I mean, there's more, I'm related to more than a hundred people just on, just on, just in two states, mm-hmm. <laughs> just in Delaware and Maryland. That, that's like your relatives listening and that's it, which mm-hmm. is fine. Right. I mean, actually, I mean, and also it takes a lot of work to get an audience, especially if it's really niche. I mean, I think that's very interesting that it's 7%. Also, I mean, what you were saying about it being disheartening, that's very true. But I'm actually writing a series of books that will help people with those numbers secure advertising and monetize and grow. But I mean, you don't need to grow to be the top 2%. But but that's what, I, but, but what I'm saying to you, and, I, and I'm glad that you're doing that, Jess, but it does like... And then I feel that it's super important for you to keep doing that and bring it forward and just bring it, just keep bringing it because what keeps, what the conversation continues to be had and the model of all of these new companies, especially the ones that are getting millions of dollars is all centered around that 7%. So the reason why I'm writing this series, and it's all about audio influencers, how to become an audio influencer, how to think of yourself not just as a podcaster or a broadcaster, but as an an influencer like, you know, like they have on YouTube and Instagram, because some of you who have these smaller podcasts already are influential on other mediums, large email lists, large Instagrams, large Facebook pages. Um, and you already are an influencer on some level. And so it's just a matter of bypassing this particular business model and creating your own. There are podcasts for the last 10 to 12, 15, 13 years that were doing it this way before uh, Serial came along and they will be doing it this way for years after. They don't pay attention to what Midroll and these guys are doing. They just sell based on their influence numbers and that's what... I mean, I think if you look at yourself as that and not in comparison to these shows, then, you know, you can feel a lot better about your show, but also about what you're really worth to an advertiser. It's your whole community that's worth something, not just your show. Like, and we're a perfect example because we, we sometimes hit 2000 a week, right? But we have 10,000 people in our Facebook group. Right. But also our numbers don't in any way reflect what we like. Our podcast does not reflect the influence, like our podcast numbers, our podcast numbers does not reflect the influence that we have in the space. And so if we were only, if we were only judged, if somebody just came in and did not in any way take any other information into who, who, whatever they were deciding to, you know, judge us as, but only download numbers, we'd be dismissed in a second. Mm-hmm. within this model, you know, within the model of what we're looking at here, right? Because people are looking at the numbers. People are looking at what that looks like. And also some podcasts that do have the numbers don't have half the influence that we have, right? And that's what you're talking about, where it's like you can have the exposure, you can have these larger numbers, but the level of engagement that you see from your audience or your community and the level of influence, speaking of influence, you know how we talked about the goat thing last week and mm-hmm. that we got, you know, 
No, but you, I, I mean, forgot just, to put that in the show notes. Yeah, but so, but actually, just using this as an example, we put a shout out to see if anybody had goats, right? And to see if there were goat lovers or if you were thinking of having a goat and all that I stuff. I mean, I love goats. But, it was really to see who owned goats. Right. But see, but the thing is, but here's the thing, though. It's less about, here's, here's what I want you guys to start to understand. It's less about how much or, or anything like that. And to me, it's always about timing. Think about when did that first email come in about the goats for us? Like within an hour of us sending our show out yeah. via email. Right? Okay. So we sent an update via email. It came back within 60 minutes. Like, hi, yeah. first goat lady. Hi. Yeah. So then, but, so that's what I'm saying. It's like for me, but that, more than that, one. but that is exactly, but that's what I'm talking about in terms of influence. That's what happens whenever I put on an episode of the feed that's like generally around 90 minutes long. And all of a sudden I'm getting tweets and email messages and comments that are not just like great show, but that are actually giving stuff back. And I'm like, did you like email me while you're listening to the show? (laughs) Are you, you know, I'm. Did you get, oh my God, did you really? Yeah. You got tweets and stuff about goats? I might have missed no, it. No, no, not tweets. I'm talking about the feed, dude. About the feed. Oh, I'm oh, not talking oh, about... Oh, oh, I'm talking sorry, that sorry. that's what tends to happen with the feed okay. is that I get it all over. Meaning in, on right. Twitter. We get responses on Twitter. We get mm-hmm. feedback via Twitter, via email, and via Facebook almost consistently within a three-hour time frame after releasing an episode on that day. Right, Which right, to right. me, when you start to that's when you start to quantify the ability for you to impact or influence because mm-hmm. it's, it's in that it's like, what, what cause? I mean, imagine what that means to somebody uh, when you have to, when you have to reach out to somebody and say something. And again, it's not like, Hey, good show. That was awesome. Which we love as well. We, that's great. But for them to actually respond to something specifically, like, thank you for talking about this, or wow, that was awesome. So that's where I feel a lot of people miss the boat, especially the ones that have the larger followings, where those um, back and forths are not set up. They can't quantify Mm -hmm. it. You know, even if they just started the conversation or created the ability for that dialogue, that back and forth, it -hmm. would double their ability to impact and serve the advertisers. Versus just doing it because they have the numbers, right? Yeah. Yep. So. Absolutely. Anyway. Interesting stuff. Well, speaking of the goat lady, just to update people, we did have one person write in who used to have goats and technically didn't count, but we allowed it because the point was whether or not anyone in our audience owned goats and she did own goats and she will own goats so i guess it can technically it did prove me wrong even though semantics wise she doesn't currently own goats and then another woman wrote in (laughs) hours later so cute the brown goat she has goats all right so two out of two thousand mazel tov elsie you win they each win a tote bag and a speak pipe what yeah well that was the speak pipe from the from the one that jess was talking about the first one yeah it's a speak pipe. Oh, yeah. Hey, Elsie and Jess. I wanted to respond to the goat thing on today's podcast. So I've had goats almost my whole life. I've only been about four years without goats. I had a herd of four at one point. I had Razzle and Dazzle, which were a bonded pair, a guy, and a boy and a girl, and then um, Lady and Otis, which were a younger bonded pair. 
So when Razzle was, I don't know, a couple years old, he had been fixed when he was only a couple months old. And if you fix your boy goats too early, which is something I learned way past the fact, their urethra doesn't actually develop properly, so they get more blockages. Um, unfixed males don't tend to have this problem. So he had urinary, urinary calculi. His urethra was completely blocked. We went in on a Sunday morning. I assisted in surgery, and we were able to clear the blockage, and he survived no problem. Then we had Otis, which was another young boy who got fixed even earlier than Razzle and actually had a complete blockage, and his urethra exploded. And it was we tried the very expensive surgery. We tried to reroute it. But he inevitably had to be put down. So my heart goes out to you. It was the hardest experience I've ever had to deal with. They were my babies. They're my children. And Jess, some people do really love goats. I'm sending you a picture soon of my goats. Not only of my goats, but me showing my goats. Much love. Love you guys. Bye. Yay. (laughs) Yay. I love it. So... Yes, I know. People love goats. Okay. Okay. La la la. But anyway, so we, but, but, but see that though? I mean, that was a very specific question. And I think that that's another thing just to get back at to, to know, like, um, ask your audience, engage the people, know your influence, know the type of people that are following you. I mean, there's just so much love. There's so much like, um, the, uh, uh, support and influence that we can have that is by far so much measured and impactful than download numbers, you know? So anyway, go ahead and continue with whatever it is. What's the next step? What what are we doing next? The next thing I wanted to talk about very quickly is about podcast ad revenue. So Every year, the IAB puts out like how much revenue they earned last year. And um, in 2017, there was $314 million, a rise of 86% over $169 million in 2016. They are projecting $659 million by 2020. A triple digit one ten percent hike from two seventeen. Dan Franks is quoted by saying this study confirms what many of us inside the industry already know. Podcast advertising works and revenues are on the rise. Very interesting because Dan Franks advertises with us. <laughs> which which means he goes after I mean, I don't know to what extent he advertises on bigger shows because I don't listen to that many shows, as we all know. But I know how much he listens he advertises on small shows because I put together that contract before I switched my role in the agency. And he was advertising on at least 10 smaller shows with a thousand downloads or under or, you know, around a thousand downloads or over. Um, so for him to be quoted here as saying it really, really works. And, and I also know he's really happy with the results he's getting from us. So, that's because we use our entire – I'm going off on a tangent, but I'm just saying it's because we use our entire influence. We don't just stay on the show and then never talk about it again. Um, this is a really interesting number in that it's growing really quickly. People hear the number 314 million, 659 million, and they see dollar signs. And before you go ahead and publish the article, Radio is Dead, please know that in 2017, radio revenue was 18 billion billion dollars 
It is not going anywhere. Shut your hole. It's not going anywhere. Shut your hole. So stop saying shit is dead. I hate that, as we all know. Radio is not dead. It's just that podcast um, interest shows. It's all rising, which is not a bad thing. I know John's over there seething because he doesn't want anyone else in his sandbox. We we all know that, but. I think that the procasters, I still believe that they help us have better shows because we didn't start caring about what we sounded like till they show up. Um, you know, and then also it really makes us hustle to build an audience that can compare or that is, and, and also you can't compare because you were right, Elsie, they're not nearly as influential. And like, and like a Mark Marin, where they have audience size they don't really have influence katie couric we don't know who's running that twitter account you know elsie and i are going to respond back to you if you write to us on instagram on twitter on facebook which by the way is that she podcasts um and i have to say like i mean just as a quick um shift i do believe that mark does have a lot of influence simply because he's like i feel mark is a lot more like in quotes us so because he was a bad example yeah yeah yeah. but yeah but anyway like the katie couric one was more like that. There are some procasters who who do really well with this kind Shaquille of stuff. Shaquille O'Neal um, is and, um, Adam Carolla. They're not paying attention to their audience in particular as much right. as Mark. You're right. You're right. Yeah, there are some that are totally... It, like, it doesn't matter. They're coming at it from the perspective of, look, you should have a podcast. And they go, okay. <laughs> and so they just do it. But they don't really understand mm-hmm. what it's... Uh, uh, you know how it works whereas there are some people who are big names like one of my favorites it's is Preet Bharara from uh mm-hmm. Stay Tuned with Preet and his podcast from the get-go had the dialogue set up from the beginning like he started off saying you can send me feedback here's the number email me tweet me and he had a you know a whole segment where he was asking people were asking questions of him and people have been they're they're being featured on his show and it makes it feel so like you're part of it and he's listening to me and he mentions the people and it I cannot even tell you how endearing that is as well as how it makes you feel important as a listener that this person that has so much power and is so smart and educated is really listening to what I have to say and is answering my questions. So I want more podcasts that are more procasting podcasts to really consider the audience in that respect and to be able to get people to engage at a deeper level. You know, it it doesn't happen too much. So, yeah. So anyway, interesting stuff. I think that is all we have for the news. I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Um, why don't we round it out with some July updates and then we're diggity done. Okay, awesome. Um, okay, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> um, we are still gearing up for our VIP day. It's called Revitalize. Elsie and I are going to be doing an intimate coaching of a small group of women. There are still some spots left. It is going to be Sunday, the day before podcast movement. So July 22nd, it's going to be at my house. I am hoping my house will be, well, it has to be toddler free or we won't get anything done because he never stops talking. We are going to be taking turns. So Elsie's going to be doing her core foundational stuff in the morning that I'm going to be doing the money and business and we'll probably do marketing together and I'll do the money and business stuff at the end. Then we'll have a couple drinks together, hopefully. And then 
you know, get ready for podcast movement. We chose really um, strategically to do it before podcast movement so that you could plan your trip to Philadelphia and to this event based on what you still need to learn after you work with us. So it's a really good opportunity to get really specific, customized advice for your show as opposed to all the general stuff that you're going to have for three days at the convention center. So please check it out. Shepodcast.com forward slash Philly VIP. Yep. Philly VIP. And then we also have a promo code for podcast movement. First of all, you don't have to come to podcast movement to come to our thing. You can fly in for our thing and then fly home. So don't feel like you have to be coming to the show. If you want to come to the show, we do have a coupon code. It's SHEP for $50 off any level of ticket. If you go to podcastmovement.com, we're really excited about the event. First of all, I love that it's in my hometown. This will never happen again. So I'm just going to keep on saying it because it'll literally never happen again. But it's going to be over 2,000 podcasters from around the world, um, July 23rd through 26th here in Philadelphia, over 100 sessions on topics ranging from technical, setup, audio production, all the way to marketing, monetization. I just thought the IAB is doing something about the podcast industry and trends. If you care about that, it's also going to be about storytelling and just everything, anything and everything you could ever want to learn about your show and anyone in podcasting you've ever wanted to meet will be there. It's going to be really fun. Over 60 expoers, that is exhibitors. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so You're please sounding like use, me. <laughs> I know. I'm turning into you, uh, except for the goats. So <laughs> um, please join us. We're so excited podcastmovement.com and enter the promo code which is on the top right of the box which is she p and then i think we're gonna we don't have any tool tips today there's nothing weird and wild happening that we care to discuss with you guys and then we're gonna sign off so before we go and i tell you about how to find elsie and i we just want to thank john from audio editing solutions for editing our show and making us sound amazing he really is the most amazing editor you have no idea what kind of work he does behind the scenes but i'm telling you sometimes it can get pretty hairy hairy and smelly when it comes to editing our show so we appreciate everything that he does you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at she podcast please do that also if you got value from today's show consider giving us a dollar through patreon once a month patreon.com forward slash she podcast if you'd like our show notes it's at she podcast.com we will see you next time thank you so much for listening love you mean it Bye. <laughs>